Well, let's begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise. We're going to sing in Psalm 84 in the Scottish Psalter at verse 6. Psalm 84 at verse 6, page 338 of the Psalmbook. The tomb is Tramps and Hawkers. Who passing Thurabaker's vale, therein do dig up wells. Also the rain that falleth down, thy, the pools with water fills. For they from strength and wearied go, still forward unto strength. Until in Sion they appear before the Lord at length. We'll sing from verse 6 down to the end of the psalm to God's praise. Let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God of hosts, as the psalmist says, we thank you to be able to come and worship you this evening together. We thank you to be able to come into your place and with your people, to be gathered around your word that speaks to us so powerfully and to sing your praises from these words that remind us of who you are and the wonder of your grace. That you are the one who the psalmist says, he'll grace and glory give and will withhold no good from them that uprightly do live. And we thank you that we can enter into the, the experience of these words, recognizing, Lord, that you have not withheld anything from us. Uh, we so often ask for things that maybe we think we don't get. But Lord, you and your wisdom may keep things from us that we do not require. But we thank you that all that we need uh, to live, move, and have our being is supplied by you and supplied so abundantly. We thank you, Lord, for every provision you make for us, that you are a God of grace and glory that you are a God who has revealed your grace and glory to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that your glory is seen around us and your grace is experienced even within us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, so much that we have that uh, we take for granted. But help us, Lord, that day by day we will 
appreciate more uh, your wondrous works towards uh, us and towards your kingdom. For we belong to your people, a people who belong to all nations and tribes of this world. We may belong to a place and a town and a family. We may belong to a nation and a country here. But we thank you, Lord, that above all, our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven. That we are a people, Lord, who as we put our trust in you, would find there that we belong to you as our Father in heaven. And that we belong to your people scattered far and wide. And help us, Lord, to find our identity in you. To seek you with all our heart. And to look to you and to trust in you as the maker of heaven and earth. And we do thank you, Lord, for your grace. Your grace so abundant towards your people. Your grace shown in how you gave your own son. How he came to redeem his people. How he came to save his people from their sins. And we thank you, Lord, that in all that we could not do for ourselves, that you have accomplished it for us. And help us to cry to you. Help us to call upon your name. Help us to know that you are with us. Help us to know your presence day by day. Help us to experience it, Lord, and to share it with others. Help us to rejoice in it and to be glad for, for everything that you do for us. So that even as we worship this evening, as we sing your praise, we will do so with joy and delight in our hearts and on our lips. And as we hear and receive your word, that it will fill us up for the, the week that lies ahead. As we begin this week on a day that reminds us that our Lord and Savior is risen uh, and a reminder to us that we rest in him. May it equip us and set us up, Lord, for going back into our workspaces and into our homes and into our communities in the week ahead, that we will be salt and light in all that we do. We do pray for your ongoing work here in our midst and throughout your kingdom, Lord. We thank you that you are building your church and that you are calling your people to yourself, that there is that irresistible grace that you show towards your people. We thank you for evidence of how you are working, how you are speaking, how you are ministering, how we see a people coming from darkness to light, how we see desires being changed from longing for the things of this world to instead belonging uh, for you and for your kingdom. And so we pray that by your spirit you will work among us, among young and old alike, that we will experience your precious grace and your steadfast love. May you bless the youth fellowship as they meet this evening. We thank you that as they resume after the holiday period that you will be with them in it. Remember our young people just now as they sit exams, as prelims go on, uh, have gone on this past week and go on in the week ahead. May you encourage and strengthen all our young people as they prepare for, for exams and as they sit them. Be with them in it, Lord, and help them uh, to be able to call upon you for help, to, to be able to pray over these things, recognizing the help that you are able to give. So help them to lean upon you and look to you. Help us as a people, Lord, in all that we do to encourage and Remember one another. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient in, in all experience in life. And we do pray your grace towards those who need it in special ways, those who grieve over the loss of loved ones as we continue to remember that in recent days and in days gone past, Lord, that you will comfort, that you will uphold, that you will be a shield and a strength to those who need you in that particular way. Remember those who are unwell, those who are in hospital, those who are confined to their homes. We pray, Lord, that you will draw near to them where they are, that you will encourage and strengthen your people as uh, they have need of you. We know, Lord, that there are times when it is, uh, that it, what is important is your will. And we pray, Lord, that even as we heard in the morning service, that your will be what we pray for. No matter what goes on in our experience, Lord, help us to be settled with it, 
and to, to be settled, Lord, to say your will be done in all things. We remember, Lord, our wider communities at this time as well, and as we see an appeal for help for, uh, to support Muriel Gillis in loss at this time, we, we pray for that situation. We thank you, Lord, for her safety above all, uh, that she was uh, able to get out of her home uh, before the fire took hold. But when we see the devastation and the loss it has brought, Lord, we pray for her, for her family as well, and for the community there too. We thank you, Lord, for those who have surrounded her with love and care and compassion. And we pray, Lord, to remember her in every way we can, prayerfully and practically. And we know others in need too as well, Lord, and we pray for every ongoing effort of your gospel work in our midst to reach out to, to people in need, those who are lonely, those who are isolated in different ways, those who are struggling with many different issues. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to, uh, to be uh, good neighbors to those around us, loving them, caring for them, having compassion upon them, that as we love you with all our heart, we'll be enabled more and more to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray for your uh, kingdom to come in power throughout our land, throughout all authorities over us, Lord. We pray that you will minister to the rulers from on high, on kings and uh, prime ministers and first ministers, presidents throughout our world and those in positions of authority and power. Give wisdom, Lord. Give due diligence to them that they would seek you with all their heart that they would rule us according to your truth. Lord, we ask it, uh, looking to you to intervene in these days, to come and guide our nations, to guide us to yourself, to restore the lands of this world, to be a people who would honor you with praise on their lips. Remember your persecuted people throughout the world. We know they are many and in many places throughout the world, and even in these last few weeks, as the, the watch list has been produced by open doors, reminding us, Lord, of the persecution that goes on in so many dark places in the world. But yet we thank you that you have your people there. We thank you that there are those who are persecuted, for it reminds us, Lord, that there are people who will stand up for you, who will honor your name, who will not be turned away. And so we pray for them, Lord, stand with them, be near to them and build your church in these places that through their suffering glory may come and that people would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So continue with us, we pray, hear us and go before us in all that we do and all that we say as we ask all things for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's again sing to God's praise this time in Psalm 36 in the Scottish Psalter, page 251. Psalm 36 on page 251. We're going to sing from verse 5 to verse 10. The tune is London New. Thy mercy, Lord, is in the heavens. Thy truth doth reach the clouds. Thy justice is like mountains great. Thy judgments deep as floods. We'll sing from verse 5 down to verse 10 to God's praise.
We're going to read together in the letter of Paul to Titus, Titus chapter 2. And we can read the whole of this chapter together. Titus chapter 2, reading the whole of this chapter. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. And may God bless that reading from his word. We're going to, to sing again to God's praise, this time in Psalm 145, the first version of the psalm in the Scottish Psalter, singing at verse 15. And the tune is Effingham, verse 15 down to the end of the psalm, verse 21. The eyes of all things wait on thee, the giver of all good, and thou in time convenient bestowest on them their food. We'll sing from verse 15 to 21 to God's praise.
we can turn back to our reading in the letter of Paul to Titus chapter 2. We're going to look this evening at the end of the chapter, verse 11 to verse 15. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so it goes on. The grace of God has appeared. There are many big words when we come to study the Bible or when we come to study theology. Theology is the study of God. And as you study, you find that people use, when you look at books of theology, they they use quite big words that sometimes it's hard to get your tongue around them, never mind get your mind around what some of these words actually mean. But it's important for us to delve into these important words. But sometimes it's the little words that are just as important. And sometimes it's the little words that can have a very powerful impact on us. So as we hear the word of God being read or as we study God's word, there's little words that sometimes appear and they appear very powerfully. Little words often speak to us about a battle that is always ongoing. So when you look at the Bible and you go maybe to the very beginning of the Bible, the opening words of the Bible say, in the beginning, God. Now God isn't a big word in and of itself, but it's a huge word in terms of our thinking of everything that we see around us And as we look at ourselves, and as we look at theology as a whole, it is the study of God, who he is, and what he's done. And when you read through the beginning of the Bible, and you see in the beginning God, you see that he made all things. But then it comes to the point where he says, and he created man, male and female, he created them. So you go from one small word, God, that has such a a big emphasis, to then focus on the next thing which we could think of is me. Me. Where do I fit into all of this? Again, it's just a small word, me. Two letters, but again, it's so important. Where do I fit into the scheme of things with God? And then as you go on in Genesis, you find something else happened, and another word comes in. Sin. Again, it's a very small word, but such an important word to realize that sin came into the world, that this brought enmity between us and God, that there's this battle going on. So all of these small words remind us of our beginning, who we are, and the problem that exists in this world between us and knowing God as we should. But then God shows us another couple of words that help us to understand how we can come back to him. Two small words. We're going to focus on one of them this evening. The first one is faith. God speaks of faith. It's not a big word again, but such an important word, to have faith in God. But where does faith come from? Well, it comes from the word that we're going to study this evening, grace. The grace of God that ministers to us. And the grace of God, grace is again, it's a small word, but it's so important and it's packed with so much. Grace of God is a subject we could spend our whole lives studying and still never get past the wonder of this that God showed grace at all. We don't deserve it, but that is what grace is. It's a gift, a gift of God. And we can never tire of hearing of it that despite our sinful hearts, despite what sin has done to me, that God has shown grace, he's shown mercy towards us. So that God by his grace does not desire that any be lost, but instead that all would come and find salvation. All would know his grace and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sermon preached from the gospel has the grace of God in it because that is what the gospel is. It is the good news of a gracious God. And so this grace is vital 
for us. God's grace is seen throughout the scriptures and it's seen in different ways. It's shown in different ways. Example, in Exodus, when Moses is shown uh, the grace of God, in Exodus 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. A a description of, of who God is. This wonder of God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Moses was reminded of it and reminds us of it. You see there God's grace and favor. You see his grace in more general ways as well, where he leaves no one without, he leaves everyone without excuse. A grace called common grace, this grace shown to everyone. For example, in Acts 14, verse 17, it says, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness or grace by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He shows this common grace to all, but yet people don't see it. But I want us this evening to think of the grace of God that leads to salvation. His special grace. His grace that he shows through giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a grace not merited by us, but a grace that gives us salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How would you describe this grace? Have you experienced this grace yourself? How would you explain this grace to others. So often it's hard for us to put in words, but we can often come back to the fact that grace is something we don't deserve, but it is a gift from God. And so I want us to think of this grace as we see it in these verses before us this evening, verse 11 through to verse 15, and three things that we see of this grace here. It's a grace, first of all, that has appeared to all, it says. It's a grace that trains us or teaches us. And it's a grace that gives us patience to wait upon the Lord. So these three things we're going to look at this evening. First of all, the grace, it says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God's grace fills so much of Paul's teaching through his letters. So that as you read through the New Testament, you find again and again Paul speaking of the wonder of this grace, how special this grace is, how we all need to know and experience this grace for ourselves, to know this great gift of eternal life through God. Here in, in the letter to Titus, as he's writing to encourage Titus in the midst of different trials and tribulations that he's facing up to himself, he gives this reminder to him and to all who are with him, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. And the way you find Paul dealing with grace so often in his letters is he teaches us about, about it, what it means, the teaching behind it, the theology, if you like, behind it. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He also often he puts it then into how we put it into practice, how we live it out in our lives, how we experience it, how we grow in it, how we go on in it. He teaches the foundations of what's behind it, but then he says you're to live through it. How to live and how to know it. And so the same is is true for ourselves today as well. To know this grace of God, to delve into God's word and to seek to understand more of the wonder of this grace. And the more we know it, the more we should seek to live it out. You see it even in these verses, verse 11 through to verse 14. He's 
He tells us this grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Well, what does that mean? Well, as you go on, he shows us that this grace trains us to turn away from uh, ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much already in this that the Lord has come as a, a saving work to be done for us, that he is one who takes control of our lives, that we await his appearing, his return, the day of the resurrection. He gave himself to redeem us. So there's so much here already. So there's, there's teaching behind it all. But then he says at the end of verse 14, he gave himself to redeem us from all unlawness to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So these are going to be a people who know and understand all that the Lord has done in salvation and redemption and purchasing them that they would be zealous for good works that they would serve the Lord with all their heart. So God has appeared to, to remind us of the salvation for all people through Jesus Christ. Just like Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but by his grace and mercy made alive in Christ. And this is by grace through faith, not of works, lest we boast. So, again, we come back, it says here, sell us for good works, not to boast in them, but to do them because of what he has done for us. Romans 5, again, such a wonderful book. So much teaching there to us of who God is and the riches of his grace, but turns again to often practical things as well. In chapter 5, though, it says in verse 10, For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So we were enemies, but by his grace we are saved. And so how much more shall we be saved through his life? So Paul is here writing to Titus and to his people there to say the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all. The wonder of this grace. And what did it mean for them? Well, the people he was writing to, they would have recognized the word grace. They would have been familiar with it. Charis in the Greek. They would have been hearing this word and they would have recognized what it means. It means doing a favor, doing good for another person. But the crux of it was, you do good for another person, not expecting something in return. But for them, it was always done to friends, to people who they didn't mind doing good for. They wouldn't expect anything back. They weren't looking for anything back. They were doing them a good turn, not expecting anything back. But there were people they, they loved and they cared for. Well, Christ brings a richer depth to this grace, to this charis. He gives it a far richer meaning because what he did at Calvary, as we were reminded there in that reading in Romans, was for those who were enemies, those who despised him, those who rejected him. He showed favor, he showed grace towards them. And this grace that has been revealed is extraordinary. It goes beyond anything else anyone has seen to this point. There's a fullness, there's a richness to them, and they're thinking to themselves, but how can this be? Well, it's the wonder of the grace of God bringing salvation for all people, for anyone who will come to him, anyone who will bow the knee to the Lord. This grace is there for them. And you noticed in our reading of this chapter, verse 1 through to verse 10, it's speaking to all the different kinds of people in that day, to men, young and old, to women, uh, young and old, to slaves, to everyone. This is speaking to all groups of society, to 
to all who will receive it, to all who will listen. This grace has been revealed. It's appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So this grace is for all who will listen. Grace does not class people as worthy and unworthy because of status or anything else. Grace has appeared to all. And it is a saving grace. There's nothing we can add to this grace. There's nothing we can do to earn this grace. We are to receive it by faith. It is what has been done for us at the cross, bringing salvation for all people. Because of the one, as it says in verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness. It is grace through Christ's works. So how thankful are we for this grace? Do you know this grace for yourself? Do you long for this grace yourself? Well, it's not to earn it, not to work for it, but to come and see it in the person of Jesus Christ and to put your trust in him. And then as we think of putting our trust in him, as we're called to put our trust in the grace of God, this grace then teaches us. This grace teaches us and keeps us going. And you see that in verse 12, training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. And again, you link that into the end of verse 14. A people for his own possession sell us for good works. So you, you turn away by grace from uh, ungodliness, worldly passions, all of these things, and instead now sell us for good works. Sell us to do the things of God. Jesus saved us not only that we would belong to him, but that we would live like we belong to him. That's how somebody once put it. That we'd belonged, not only just belong to him, but also we would live like we belong to him. And that convicts us. Every one of us, I'm sure, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who belong to him. Do we live like we belong to him? Do we show that in our lives and how we speak and how we conduct ourselves in everything that we do? Are we showing us not just that we belong to him, but that we live like we belong to him? Are we growing in grace is what is behind this. Because grace isn't just coming to that conversion point. Grace is going on in his strength. Grace is going forward in his strength, learning, being trained, being taught to renounce ungodliness, to turn away from it and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. For us to say, hands up, who lives like that? I doubt if any hand would go up because we don't. By nature, we don't. We still feel like we're ungodly and caught up in worldly passions so often. And this is the key where grace comes in because grace is what teaches us and trains us to renounce these things and to live in that right way. And so we should long for this, to, to learn, to, to plead with God and to go on in his strength. And perhaps we, we remember just what it was like to live in sin. Maybe we're experiencing these days just now when we're struggling in so many ways. But the days like what Paul speaks to the Ephesians of, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And these things can so easily seek to, to cling on to us still. Days when sin was winning the battle. Days when God seemed just so far away. Sin had no meaning because 
sin was normal. Sin was just the way we lived. But what changes? Grace. It is grace that changes our attitudes. Grace that changes our sinful desires. So that no longer <clears throat> do we see these things as normal. And just what we, we do by nature. But we recognize this is not right. This is not how I want to live my life. This is not the way I want to be. It is grace that opens our eyes. This irresistible grace that we, we hear of. This grace that comes from God. That begins to open our hearts to his word. This grace that opens our eyes to see all that is wrong in our way of life. And begins to show us our need of Christ. And begins to open our hearts to receive by faith his grace. It is grace that teaches, grace that trains. But to have that, we have to allow this grace into our lives. To long for it, to ask the Lord for it. There's a story told of a, a young girl who had come to faith. She believed with all her heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like we do ourselves, the time came when she was going to come for membership in our church. And to do so, she was going to appear before the Kirk session. And she came <coughs> to the Kirk session. And as is her way as well, some questions were asked of her. One of the questions she was asked was this, were you a sinner before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir, she replied. And then the elder went on to ask, well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, she said, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. So the elder then asked another question. Then what real change have you experienced? And this is the way she put it. I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running away from sin. The change is there before us. She used to be a sinner running after sin. And how many of us were or even maybe are in that situation? Sinner just living for sin. But now when we come by grace to know salvation in Christ Jesus, we're a sinner running from sin. Sin still clings. Sin stills battles for us. But we, as it says here, seek to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions through this grace. Grace teaches us that we should be eager to do good. Eager to live for Christ. So it is this grace that we need. This grace to teach us in all of these things. The final thing that we see here is this grace gives us patience to live and to wait for the Lord. And you see that in verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Verse 13 reminds us that in our graces we live in this world. Grace has so much more to give us yet. That we await the return, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As James is studying in the Sunday evenings, the resurrection, this ties into what we've been hearing from that study. How he is going to come. How he is going to reveal himself to us, how we are going to see grace fulfilled and grace fulfilled for ourselves. So his glorious appearing has this sense it could be at any time. He could come at any time. And again, that challenges us. Are we ready? 
Are we ready for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are we living like we belong to him? Are we living for him? There was once a tourist who was in Italy. And they went to visit this large estate that had beautiful gardens. And these gardens were well kept by a gardener. One gardener looking after it all, a caretaker. And the tourist came to the caretaker and asked, How long have you been working here? Twenty-five years, said the caretaker. And they asked, How often has the owner been to the estate in all your time here? Four times, the caretaker said. And when was the last time that the owner came to see his estate? Twelve years ago, the gardener replied. Who comes then to look after these things when the owner's not here? He said, well, I'm pretty left, much left to get on with by myself. He said, well, yet you keep this garden so spick and span that you may think you're expecting the owner to come tomorrow. Today, replied the gardener, today. It didn't matter that the owner hadn't been for 12 years. He knew he could come any time. And so he kept the place as if he would come today. Is that the way we live a life of grace? Are we expecting, anticipating the Lord's return any time, even today, even this evening. If he were to come today, if this was the great and final day of the resurrection, where is your hope? Where is your confidence? Is it in the one who Paul says here in verse 13, the one who, who gave himself? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He showed us this wonderful grace. Do you know this grace yourself? When we think back to what we started with, the small words and the battles that go on, how God made us, how we see ourselves in this world and how sin has come in and seeks to devour us on a daily basis. But in the midst of this battle is grace. It is grace that we need. It is grace that gives us victory. Going back to Romans 5, verse 20 it is, it says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In the midst of the battle, when sin is abounding, grace did much more abound. Do you remember every time God has given you his grace? You may remember certain experiences of his grace, certain times where you say, but by his grace, I wouldn't have gone through that. But do you remember every time his grace has helped you? It's probably impossible. Because there's probably even times we didn't realize it was the grace of God. The things that were hidden from us. The things that were kept from us. Apart from God's grace, where would we be? There was a story told of a minister many years ago. He was out walking by a stream. And as he was walking along the stream, he came across a woman who was washing wool. And she was washing the wool by putting it into a large sieve and dipping the wool in and out of the stream until the wool was cleaned. And he stopped for a while to watch the woman doing this. And then he spoke with her for a time, seeing what she was doing. And as he spoke with her, he asked if she knew who he was. And she said to him, oh yes, 
I know who you are. And I am so eternally thankful to God for a sermon that you once preached that helped me so much. Uh, the minister was so pleased to hear that a service he'd preached that had such an effect. And he asked her, do you remember the subject that I preached? Oh, well, sir, no. I don't actually remember what you preached. And of course, like most ministers would be, he was a little deflated by this, that she didn't remember what the service was about. And he said to her, how then can you remember that it did you good if you don't remember what the subject was? Well, sir, she said, my mind is like this sieve. It does not hold the water back, but as the water goes through, it cleans the wool. So is my memory like this. It doesn't retain all the words I hear, but as they pass through my heart, by God's grace, it cleanses it. And that's the grace of God's word. We don't always remember every moment of God's grace and every experience of God's grace. But it's God's grace again and again and again that keeps us, that sustains us, that keeps us going. This grace is a wonderful thing. It is a grace that has appeared bringing salvation for all. So do you know the salvation of this grace? If you don't, Come and seek the Lord's grace. Plead with him with all your heart to know this grace. And if you know and as you know this grace, seek to grow by this grace, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. And then as you do so, remember we wait by grace the return of the Lord Jesus. But as we wait, he gives his word by his grace that cleanses our hearts again and again and again. It is his grace that keeps and his grace that sustains. And may we know the blessing of this grace day by day. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who remembers us in all our needs and provides a grace all-sufficient for all our needs. And we pray, Lord, to know this grace more and more abundantly in our hearts, in our souls, and in our lives, and in our communities. As we ask it all, looking to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed us and paid the price for this grace. We ask it all, forgiveness of our sins, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 and the Sing Psalms on page 8 of the Psalm books. We'll sing from verse 3. When I regard the heavens you made, your fingers work, I trace. I see the moon and shining stars which you have set in place. I ask myself, what then is man that thou, that you should give him thought, the son of man, that you to him such gracious care have brought? We'll sing from verse 3 to the end of the psalm to God's praise.
go to the door to my right this evening. Let's close the benediction. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.